0: Welcome to What's Next, Cornet Global's podcast that puts members on the microphone with thought-provoking, profession-shaping conversations and commentary. Welcome to our business continuity and risk panel discussion. Uh, We're very excited to have you here. My name is Sonali Tare, VP of Strategic Content for Cornet Global, and I'm the host and moderator for this webinar. In today's panel discussion, we will delve into how adapting to the rapidly changing corporate real estate environment is not only key to survival, but critical for business continuity and mitigating risks. A lack of information and high uncertainty around topics such as hybrid work, changing worker and consumer behavior creates challenges in developing an action plan. How do you mitigate these challenges and turn them into opportunities? Stay tuned to learn more. So before we begin, a couple of housekeeping notes. Please note that all attendees have been placed on mute to minimize background noise. Attendee video is also turned off so that we can focus on the SMEs we are talking to today. We will be taking questions from time to time during the session, and you can use the chat function to send questions to either me or to the panelists directly. With that, I'd like to introduce our speakers. First, we have Jack Conway. Head of Performance Management, Global Corporate Services, Newmark. Jack leads Performance Management for Newmark's Corp- for Newmark's Global Corporate Services, or GCS group, with responsibility, responsibility for procurement, vendor management, environmental health and safety, and other. His aim is to constantly improve outcomes for clients. He established centers of excellence to manage GCS performance in these areas from the customer perspective, and leads proactive risk management, transition and governance of client accounts. Prior to joining Newmark in early 2021, um, Jack worked at Bridgewater Associates and then at Genpact. Next, we have Brett Swango, Head of Location Intelligence and Workforce Workforce Analytics and founding member of the Economic Incentives Practice at Colliers. Brett leads the analytics practice at Collier's, turning data into insights and helping some of the world's largest organizations make more informed, quantitatively defensible decisions in these highly uncertain times. Finally, we have David Kaplan, Senior Manager, Real Estate Strategy and Sustainability with Deloitte Consulting. David has 14 years of experience within real estate, asset management, procurement, consulting, finance and operations. During his tenure at Deloitte, David has focused on serving clients to to optimize the performance and costs of their real estate and asset portfolios and the organizations which manage them. Thank you to all three of you for being here today. And with that, let's get on with our first question. So to level set the discussion, um, could you provide some context on some of the risks that organizations are facing today? Are there more risks that CRE and the businesses that they serve um, are they facing more of these risks, or does it just seem that way?
1: Yeah, I'm happy to uh, happy to jump in there. Um, I think we're in you know maybe the most volatile time, certainly in my career over the last 12 years, uh, between the you know the geopolitical, the environmental, the cyber. I mean, you know, obviously we have a you know kind of the first looming like you know, map, you know potentially expanding uh, you know, major war of the last couple decades. Um, you know, I think the, the looming recession while also battling historic inflation, uh, you know, we're there's a, there's a talent crisis, um, uh, you know, on the real estate side, prices are growing at, you know, a historically unprecedented level, uh, on the one side of the business and industrial on the office side of the business. Obviously I think everyone's struggling with what, you know, what does a right size footprint look like and how do we get people back to work? So the, uh, the macro answer to that, to that question is I think we're in certainly in, uh, you know the most the most volatile times, um, you know, of the last couple of decades.
2: Just just to uh, add add in a little bit to that, um, it it cer- certainly extremely volatile, volatile time. Their um, their um, history does have a tendency to repeat itself. Uh, so, for example, if you go back, uh, you know, a hundred years or so, uh, there were similar dynamics uh, in the twenties uh, with with the depression coming out of the First World War. Uh, Spanish flu. Um, w- one of the things from uh, from a from, a, uh, from a, a risk standpoint is is we can look back at history and um, and learn our lessons uh, for sure.
0: David, you want to add anything?
2: No, uh, Brett and Jack covered
3: it really well. I mean, I, I, I agree with I, I agree with Brett and Jack's sentiments. You know the. Um, you know, I think the big question is how do you begin to assess the volatility, what the potential impacts are, and how do you begin to mitigate the things that you prioritize? And I think those are some of the things that we're going to talk about today.
0: Absolutely. Thank you. Um, you know, we talked about a whole bunch of risks that you know all three of you brought up. So what risks? would you say are specifically on the plates of the CRE teams today? You know, what's what sort of bubbling to the top? Is it health and safety? Is it location risk and supply chain risk? Um, climate climate related risk, geopolitical risks?
3: Yeah, I, I mean, I think my, my clients that I work with are, I think, pressed with, with with three really big questions right now related to some of those topics. Um, and, and they are, I would say more focused on the direct impact to the corporate real estate portfolio and the delivery of the services that, you know, um, their colleagues and their business stakeholders expect. Um, you know, the first, the the first big question is, as we all know, like, what is the, what is the workplace environment going to look like and what are people going to expect in terms of, coming into the office, you know, how, how do you create an environment that actually draws people into the environment? And, and what are the implications from a talent perspective? So I think that's one big area that people are trying to solve for right now. Um, the second one is, you know, for the corporate real estate team, you know, our functional area, you know, that talent risk that Brett was talking about just a little while ago, right? The availability of people, Who understand the space, who can do the work, who, you know, whether it's internal resources or external resources, you know, I think the volatility that Brett Jack talked about are all impacting the availability of, of these people that, you know, maybe 10 years ago, you know, you could think about scaling in a way that right now, a lot of my clients are like, hey, if we grow our portfolio, I don't think we have the people who can manage it. And so I think, the, the the risks and the volatility are all driving that change in the talent availability, and the th- and the third one is just operational continuity. You know how do you keep your assets? Uh, you know assets performing both the buildings themselves and the infrastructure assets that you know keep our buildings safe and effective and uh, healthy. And I think that you know some of my clients are really trying to assess the risk inherent in those, in those, in all of those types of assets, but I don't think those are things that are really changing from five years ago, 10 years ago. I mean, these are things that us as Cornet folks have been talking about for a long time, but I think it's ratcheted up right now because of, you know, things like supply chain risks, right? All of a sudden you're saying, Hey, if we need to replace a chiller unit on a building Maybe we need to start planning for it now, even if we think it has two or three or four years left, right? Or, hey, maybe we should be overbuying stock of, of equipment or overspying stock of materials because it may be hard to get six months from now. And so I think those are some of the things that, you know, from a facilities, workplace services, asset infrastructure perspective, those are the impacts from all that volatility that Brett and Jack talked about, I think, are driving core decisions around those three questions. but Brett and Jack, do you have any, any thoughts on that?
2: there there is there is one other dynamic or um, I'm, I'm not sure if it's a question or not, David. Um, but uh, one one other one other risk area that I'd like to bring out especially for the survival of um, CRE companies in uh, most companies out there, believe it or not is is ESG, uh, which is environmental, social, and governance. Um, CRE companies today really need, excuse me, I lost my voice, CRE companies today uh, really need a sustainable ESG program that has a meaningful approach uh, to the environment, is committed to diversity, offers competitive pay and benefits, and provides reasonable governance. Um, Unless CRE organizations have these solid programs, the risks are, is customers are going to buy elsewhere. Um, you're not even going to make it to the short list when it comes to RFPs. Uh, investors are today investing elsewhere. Um, they're checking your your ESG score and they're taking their uh, their dollars elsewhere. And uh, the best and the brightest recruits uh, are going to work elsewhere as well. I think there was a I don't know if it was Glassdoor or, or Indeed. Uh, you know, one out of three uh, new hires today uh, considers a company's ESG program uh, uh, in in their decision to go work there. So anyway, just a, just another one out there that um, you don't see on very many lists.
1: yeah, you guys have you guys have really nailed, I think most of the hot topics, but I think maybe peeling back the onion there. You know one of the things that we do with or when we're trying to work with our clients is saying, hey, what do your bosses care about? i e, what do CEOs care about? And actually, you know it's Fortune and Deloitte, I think, co-author, uh, what I, what I, as far as I'm aware, it's the largest survey of CEOs they do it twice a year and they kind of do a word cloud of what are the key priorities. And it shifted really from, you know, January to June. Um, and the, you know, they were still, it was still the same items. The order changed a bit, but it was, you know, it went from workforce supply chain, you know, COVID to uncertainty and volatility workforce supply chain. And then the other big one that jumped to kind of the top of the list is inflation. Right. So just thinking about, okay, if CRE professionals, how do we help our organization leverage that real estate portfolio to start addressing those, you know, those business challenges that are certainly, you know, those are clearly top of mind at the C-suite and we know that there's a trickle down effect, right? It's just a matter of time. I think the other kind of interesting thing is in these volatile times, right? These priorities are shifting so quickly and the world is so dynamic. um, But the, and the, the profile, you know, of the, I'll call it the real estate director, right? The number of times that real estate gets mentioned on earnings calls, is up over 10x from where it was pre COVID, right? Which is groups talking about what they're doing as it pertains to adjusting these solutions, largely around supply chain and then right sizing their footprint. Um, so I think, you know, if we go, so we got these kind of core areas of concern of supply chain and labor, let's call it, and then you're operating in this environment of potentially looming recession um, and this hyper uncertainty. One of the big pieces that we're trying to enable, and you kind of heard the Terminology in the intro is quantitatively defensible business decisions, right? And in, in times of volatility, like an analogy I've used with a lot of broker our brokers internally is: is data more valuable when the market's going like this, or when it's going like this? I would argue that it's the latter. And you know, and one, I think that a, a data-driven approach can improve your chances of being right. Uh, secondarily, you know, frankly, and coming from you know the corporate world and my old finance days at Allstate, it was. we said, hey, if you have a quantitatively defensible approach and the leadership is aligned on the variables and the weighting, et cetera, the odds of you getting fired if you're wrong go down tremendously, right? And then the the third leg that we've kind of added that stool in the last like six to eight weeks here is we also think that that approach enhances the organizational evolution, right? I mean, again, we're not going to be right in all of our decisions, whether we're extending, whether we're pushing into new markets. But ultimately, if you do have that quantitative approach, you can say, "Hey, this worked really well. Oh, we need to start disproportionately weighting not just the availability of talent, but oh, we need to really start looking at the quality or the competition in those markets." Um, or, "Hey, this flopped over here. We weren't looking at these three factors. We know they should now be variables in the future." And then again, what are these? You know, how are these macroeconomic headwinds and the variables that are kind of popping up top of mind with our leadership? How do we make sure that we're incorporating that into those business decisions um, to you know help try to navigate some of this uncertainty and um, at least bring a more systematic approach to decision making because it—it uh, it certainly, uh, you know, I, I heard a th- I heard a thing in uh, in Detroit for uh, IEMC and heard one of the speakers have a great line. He said, "If you're one of those people that loves to worry, there's never been a t- better time for you than right now." <laughs> so
0: that's great. One thing I kind of heard that was interesting, uh, you know, sort of before we move on to our next question is all of the you know all of the issues that we mentioned. Do lead to uncertainty and uh, you know sort of chaos in a in a sense. Um, but Brett, I heard you mention uncertainty as as an issue in itself. So how are how are you kind of looking at those two things uh, distinctly? I guess is my question.
1: Yeah. So sorry, you're saying uncertainty as like in and of it. Well, so yeah, I, in and in more, of
0: it, in a, in in of itself. Sure. Yeah. Well, I think uh, you know if I go back to like. a
1: you know, financial principle number one, you don't make long-term decisions in light of short-term uncertainty. Mm -hmm. Now, that's easy for me to say. Obviously, there's, you know, there's mission critical uh, facilities or operations or your back is against the wall and you can only punt this stuff out so long. But ultimately, I think that's, again, where understanding, you know, if I just try to make it more practical, it's, hey, what are our core assets What are kind of maybe, you know, intermediate to non-core and what are ultimately our variable assets? And how do we start planning if there is this, you know, looming recession, which, you know, again, in my professional career, maybe even in my lifetime, I don't know that there's been even as much uncertainty as there is now as saying, well, are we in a recession? I mean, if you look at the historical, both on the private and public debt levels and where those sit today, and that in light of this inflationary environment, I'm, you know, I'm not an economist, so I don't know what the future looks like. But having, being able to kind of segment your portfolio and start thinking about, okay, in scenario planning, if A, then B. Um, but there's certain things that we know you can use data to, I mean, almost, again, come up with a very strong quantitative thesis on, is this going to be a challenge going forward? Something I'll talk about is like the supply chain environment. I mean, that is, you know, if, if every business decision is really about risk adjusted return, well, when the risk is not bearing its head, you focus on the return piece. Well, like just to take that to a simple example of on, uh, you know, onshoring or offshoring or globalization. It was like okay, well, when we weren't worried about all this supply chain chain disruption, it was just in time because if you didn't have just in time delivery, your margins weren't as strong as all your competitors, and all, consequently, that supply chain manager was getting beat up. Well, now it shifted to resiliency, and even to see like the thing that is one of the fascinating elements to me is we're here I and mean, we are seeing a ton of like this. Onshoring activity. I mean, even mega projects, and you know, I'll call it. You know, going back to the supply chain disruption is the inability to even get the the transformers for the substations. I mean, you're out almost like three and a half years to be able to actually get these assets to be able to start these facilities. So, to be able to look ahead of what are the things that are changing that we know aren't really going anywhere, but to see that onshore environment in light of the strengthening dollar. Like nobody's talking about the fact that, wait, you're going to start producing onshore, even though it's going to be way more expensive, given how strong the dollar is. People are saying, hey, no, this is a risk. This is a operationally critical objective. It almost we're almost taking the monetary component and making that secondary. That's, I think, one I'll call it like systemic lens that we're seeing another one going back to the labor story. I mean, in my opinion, we're in a chronic labor shortage from now on. If the bottom falls out of the economy, don't get me wrong, there will absolutely be short-term slack. But there are 300,000 less people turning 18 today than there was a decade ago. And at the same time, the median boomer is retiring at the end of this year. So it's like you're losing the largest – there were more people born in the U.S. between 1952 and 1961 than there were between two, or sorry, uh, 1992 and 2001. So we call it the 2060 ratio. Essentially, what's the ratio of 20 year olds to 60 year olds? And that's at a, you know, in the 80s and 90s, there was 120% more 20-year-olds. Today we're down to like 10% more. So essentially you don't have that replacement rate. So we're about to be, we are going perpetually unless something changes with our immigration policy. We're gonna be operating in a very different environment, not in the next three years and whether we go into a recession now. But for the next 10, 20, 30 years, just looking at the birth rates and those, you know, and demographics don't change overnight, right? So those are things we know are going to be around in light of what happens over the next 18 months or the next election cycle.
0: That's fascinating. Um, David, Jack, any any thoughts on what uh, Brett, Brett said or anything you want to add to that before we move on to our next question?
3: Yeah, I think uh, some of the things that Brett's talking about, I think have a huge potential impact on the, you know, on our commercial real estate partners, right? You know, I'm a corporate real estate guy, right? Like I care about end users. I care about, you know, uh, providing great environments and safe environments for for companies to do their work. Um, But our commercial real estate enablers and partners, right? Like when they start to think about where do they build new buildings? What do they do with older buildings? right? Like what is the impact on rental rates, TI, you know, the capital funding for these types of projects. I think the things that Brett are talking about are sort of macro headwinds that potentially impact, especially in bigger, older cities, you know, like, you know, I mean, I guess I'd want to own a building in New York City right now, but uh, probably not as much as I would have wanted to own one 10 years ago. And Brett, do you, do you sort of see it that same way that like that those types of macroeconomic trends probably first hit the 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 building developers and the decisions that they make about build and renovation and repair and maintenance, and then
1: that's kind of a downstream impact on our corporate real estate end users. Totally, I love that you brought that up. I mean, there's a I have a lot to say on this particular topic, but again, it comes back to where is the leverage in the system right and it, like we'll call that whether it's operational or financial and what we're seeing right now just going to the industrial side right is land prices just unprecedented levels right over the last couple of years well you know in the variables that go into building a building yeah building costs have risen but not anywhere near what land costs have and what's the variable that can change there the fastest land pricing So we've seen, you know, Inland Empire and, you know, and maybe even more so on like the East Coast, like the Allentown kind of PA area where there's a little bit more land availability pricing down there, you know, 30 to 40% on the land side. The other, you know, to go back to your and, you know, I mean, even something like industrial outdoor storage, that's become a hot topic. And, hey, where do we store all these containers? And you're seeing funds pop up everywhere. Well, look at what, why did iOS or why did these parking lots go up so much in value? Well, we had 100 ships waiting for LA Long Beach to unload. So if you had empty containers at the port, your demerge fee, they, you know, unprecedented levels, 300 bucks a day per container. Well, your alternative then becomes, hey, I'll pay anything to store this thing anywhere. Well, that was when it cost, you know, $26,000 to get a container from, you know, China to LA Long Beach. That number is now $2,500 and my contacts the shipping industry say that's headed to $1,500. And the weight, you know, we're down from 100 boats to one or two or three, depending on the day that you look at it. So these supply and demand dynamics are changing quickly. And ultimately, the way that component trickles down to pricing, depending on the asset class, I think varies greatly. Another one that I think is very under evaluated right now or is becoming much more top of mind with a lot of our corporate occupiers is owning versus leasing, right? I think the kind of the macro, and that's a whole nother, again, probably whole conversation, but macro, it's hey, is real estate core to our business or is it not core? Because if it's not core, we should be allocating our capital elsewhere. Well, all of a sudden, again, if everything's about risk-adjusted returns, we thought it was non-core when prices were going up 2 or 3% a year and it was very predictable. Hey, actually, our margins just got crushed because we went to renew our leases and our, we're paying now 3x for our real estate that we were. All of a sudden, that maybe is now a core component of our business because it's now a core risk that we maybe overlooked in the past layer on top of that, the challenge that we're talking about with labor and the fact that that's not going anywhere anytime soon. So ultimately, what is your alternative of labor versus capital? We're going to invest in automation. Well, the question is, which plant should I be investing in automation in? Well, if I'm going to have to put more capital into the plant or into the, I'll call it the distribution center, even, you know, something that's historically more of a commodity, if I'm putting the capital into it and I'm seeing more risk in the pricing side. Okay. I maybe want to start owning that. Well, do I want to own all of those assets? And then again, pairing that of, okay, well, what's my strategy for my real estate? And how do I tie that to the growth trajectory of the organization and understanding which markets, whether I have, I've got two facilities today and we're going to triple in size over the next 10 years. So I know I'm going to have 10, which markets am I going to have redundancy? And I know this is a little bit more industrial focus, but I mean, you're facing a lot of the same challenges on the on the office side, so I, I'm sorry for the tangent there, but David, you brought that up, and I haven't heard many folks talking about that. And even I've, I've tried to bring it up, and we're hearing it from our users, but I'm not hearing it a lot from the the advisory side. So I think it's a it's a very pertinent topic. I promise we didn't plan that out.
3: <laughs> yeah, was right. <laughs> that and was
2: okay. well well said, gentlemen. Well said.
0: All right. Uh, shall we move on to the next question? Um, And, you know, we've kind of been talking about this throughout uh, our conversation thus far, but. You know, is our CRE professionals playing a bigger role today in managing risks? Um, I mean, you know, to some extent, it's always been on uh, on the radar, but is it a higher priority as such? Or, you know, what is what is the role there?
2: Uh, I'll I'll kick this one off, I guess. Absolutely. I think uh, due to the recent events which um, Brett went into earlier, there's definitely a heightened awareness of how, how important it is for uh, CRE to play their part in risk. Um, for example, today what I'm seeing out there uh, is there uh, is a, a super heightened interest, as Brett also mentioned, in resiliency. So uh, developing a more industrialized approach or formal approach to risk, uh, better maintenance, uh, business continuity and pandemic pandemic readiness plans, uh, investing in training and, and practice, um, maintaining uh, operational risk management programs, and not just at the board level, but uh, but throughout the organization. Uh, all of those things have uh, have uh, changed over the last few years. Okay,
0: David, Brett, um, any thoughts
1: you want to share there? I mean, I, I think on the office side. So maybe touching that a little bit more. I think there's a really interesting, you know, we're hearing a lot about the capital markets conditions and ultimately how much that change has kind of caused dislocation in the system. Really, I mean, I'd say across asset classes, maybe other than multifamily hasn't been hit to the same degree, but definitely across office and industrial. Um, But I think a piece that's underplayed in the way the capital markets have shifted is actually the way that's impacting users. And their, you know, again, we've been in a 10 year bull market for growth stocks right? Versus value, right? There's kind of this general narrative of, hey, growth versus, are you are you growing and going to have earnings in the future or are you profitable today, right? Are you core industrial, been around for hundred years? Or are you Amazon, you know, one of the fangs who's on this crazy growth trajectory? Well, when interest rate, you know, you can all, we've all done discounted, you know, NPVs or discounted cash flows. When a dollar of cash flow, when interest rates are zero and you're not discounting your cash flows, a dollar of income in, in 40 years is worth the same as a dollar tomorrow. Well, when interest rates go up, that value of your company goes down at a very nonlinear pace, depending on how far out your income is. So whether that's tech, whether that's life science, I think we're seeing a lot of groups. And even if you look at the message, you know, the IPO market is essentially dried up. The VC market is, you 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 know, good companies can still get capital there, but it's very, very, very different than it was a year ago when we were at you know, I mean, just look, think about like even just the SPAC world, like there will be books written on that. It's like, wait a minute, these companies went public where they were a shell and their plan was to buy a company. And so they didn't own anything. And then from the time when they went public to three months later, they were 10 up, 10 X in value. It's like, that will be right next to the tulips in the whole like bubble conversation. So I set that, you know, for the, the tech real estate or the, the folks on the phone who, I mean, a lot of us have only, and I've read a lot about this too, even the management within some of these tech companies is that there's a lack of uh, familiarity with this operating environment because we haven't been in this environment since 2009, 10, 11. So a lot of people who are in their early 30s, they've never operated in this environment. So the reason I say all that is, again, thinking through the strategy of what does it look like for capital conservation? you know, going forward, and ultimately, how do you be disciplined with both that, that real estate footprint, and even, you know, frankly, why do you have the real estate that that labor and that, you know, that human capital growth strategy, um, for some of these organizations, and just keeping that top of mind with your, um you know, with the way you're applying your real estate to the business, uh, I think is something that's that's under uh, underappreciated in the market.
3: Yeah, and I think going back to what Jack and I talked about earlier, right, like some of these big questions, topics that are facing corporate real estate, you know, leaders, um, you know, around providing a great environment for to enable the business, manage your internal corporate real estate talent, right? Maintain operational effectiveness, the building and the infrastructure. And to Jack's point, also taking into the consideration, how do you do this in an ESG appropriate ESG focused way, you know, if all of a sudden you add in Brett's, you know, thesis that things are tightening, right, and there's not as much money, and, and where does that end up meaning for corporate real estate leaders? Well, we all know, right, I'm sure everybody on this call who's involved in in, in our industry knows that, you know, when it comes time to, to dole out the dollars, you know, the, the 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 leaky roof unless it's about to collapse is the last thing that gets the dollar right we're the sometimes the runt of that litter when it comes to capital dollars and if things are tightening and that means that the the ability to press your finance leaders and your business leaders to say we have to have this money for this reason i think that ability to quantify the risk And to prioritize what you need to do is really, really critical, right? You know, because the, you know, I think the companies that are really good at this, Sonali, they have um, a, a risk matrix, right? They have a risk matrix in place for their key infrastructure. You know, they have policies in place to say, we will replace this type of equipment on this type of a replacement cycle. I think companies that are good at this have a, you know, enterprise asset management system, oftentimes linked to their facility condition program so that they can rate their equipment and track it, not just in terms of like maintenance records, but also what the condition of it is from a third party or from some sort of center of excellence perspective on condition, end of life, repair versus replace types of decisions. And I think if you have those pieces in place um you know you have a really good chance of being able to raise your hand in this capital tightening environment and say i know times are tight i know that this isn't a priority but we have a program in place that says that we have to replace the boiler this year and i don't mean to get it down into the the, the nitty-gritty dirty underbelly of the building but we all know that, like from a business continuity perspective, there are infrastructure elements that are critical, right? Like you talk about manufacturing environments, you talk about data centers, you talk about even in the office environment, right? Like in own, own environments, you know, if you can't provide those b- that basic infrastructure, then everything else shuts down. And I think being able to articulate that in a programmatic way that is quantified and based off of data. Now, you can't snap your fingers and make all that stuff come true, right? Like implementing a CMMS system or EAM system can take a year, right? But I think if you're not, if you don't have that now, you need to be thinking about how you build that pro- those types of programs in place. If yours is underperforming, you don't have good data, you have problems with your data, you need to be thinking about how to bring that up to speed. If you don't have those types of governance and programmatic elements to say how do we evaluate risk how do we prioritize capital um i think that corporate real estate will always kind of get pushed a little bit to the outside of the pen but that that's just sort of what i'm seeing folks trying to deal
1: with right now that was exceptionally well put david i completely agree i think tying a lot because I, I spent a lot of time on kind of these macro themes right but again tying that back to how does how do you actually improve the decisions of your organization how do you make sure you're quantifying those things? Again, building out that capital plan. Um, yeah, really, really well articulated.
0: And that was, you know, kind of a good segue into what was going to be my next question. So, Brett, uh, Jack, if you have any uh, thoughts around this, do let me know. Um, you know, what are some of the best practices? And David kind of already a little bit that CRE professionals are using to manage risks um, in general. And then, how are they managing some of those top risks more specifically? So, kind of a two you know, two sided question.
2: Um, I I could do a general, uh, more services related uh, rendition of this, and then, you know, Brett, and David, please uh, join in. Um, but uh, for both general and um, top risks, let's call them uh, some best practices. Some best practice considerations are uh, establishing a risk management framework, first and foremost, if you don't have one. Um, make sure that aligns with your company goals. Uh, next is about the data. Uh, perform risk assess a risk assessment by identifying uh, key risks facing the organization. Uh, document those risks. Uh, uh, form some type of uh, what we call a risk register. Uh, Then score those risks numerically. Uh, It doesn't have to be super complicated, but apply a number to it. And you can use variables, impact, probability, confidence ratings uh, are three that come to mind. Uh, Prioritize based on your risk scores. So uh, understand which risks are uh, gonna have the largest impact or have the highest probability of occurring. Uh, Then allocate resources uh, depending upon budget. You know, there's that, uh, you know, there's that uh, budget conversation that has to take place and uh, sometimes you're going to have to risk accept uh, some of these risks as well uh, because when it comes to uh, a cost prohibitive risk uh, you know you you have to make those you have to make those decisions quantifiably of course Uh, establish controls to prevent the risk from occurring Uh, add mitigation plans to minimize bad outcomes Uh, have risk ownership Uh, there's got to be a name associated with with a risk. Um, Responsible party, a responsible person, responsible department. Um, And then uh, review, make them part of your governance. Make the the risk program part of your governance where it's updated periodically. Um, I mean, we see once once a risk program is developed, there's a lot of work to develop it. Uh, But once it's up and running, uh, it's pretty it's pretty easy to maintain. Um, You know, quarterly cadence, annual reassess, Type of approach so anyway uh from a general best practices standpoint that's uh, uh what i see out there
1: yeah, no, i know i incredibly well articulated i think the you know the one thing to tie in those two together is that you know it it comes down to identifying what factors matter Right. And then ultimately, how do you get really good information around those factors? And I think David kind of spoke to that. And, you know, Jack, you nailed it too, in a really, really well, well articulated manner. But I think ensuring that you have, you know, a, a effective system, right, because what technology does, you know, in it, when it's at its best is it gets you the critical information sooner. And again, I think that probably all of us on the phone would agree that the rate of change in the world is accelerating so, you know, obviously I, you know, one thing that I do tell our brokers internally is that right now the variability between the average broker and the 90th percentile broker is going to expand dramatically. So there's it's a, you know, it's a big opportunity. And I think you see the same thing for I'll call it real estate organizations and even operating companies as a whole, is in these times you do really separate kind of the wheat from the shaft. And I think a big lever on that is applying the right expertise. With the right, you know, I'll call it level of intelligence and/or data, so that you know you can, you know, you as an organization can be, you know, you're doing the planning, so you're intentional, and you're also have best-in-class and in information, so you can be really adaptive in this in this hyperdynamic environment.
0: That's great. Um, you know, our before we go into Q and um, had one more question, and this is, uh, you know, something we discussed uh, earlier. But how do you how do you turn these risks and these challenges into opportunities, and how do you use the change that, um, that we're all facing? How do you use that change to your advantage?
3: Yeah, so one, one thing that I think was interesting for the, I mean, one of the many things that was interesting for the corporate real estate industry coming out uh, of the pandemic was, um, I think it put a spotlight on our, on our functional area, in a way that maybe it hadn't in a long time for most companies. You know, when you all of a sudden, the CEO and the CFO and the head of human resources start asking questions like, how many seats do we have? What's our occupancy? How do we track occupancy? How do we make sure that the people who say they're coming into the office do come into the office? What's a hybrid model look like? I mean, I think all this stuff got elevated really rapidly to um, to the C-suite and, and even board-level discussions, right? Because it had talent implications and health and safety implications and, and market-facing implications. And so I think your, your question is around how do you turn the challenge into an opportunity? I do feel like in our industry right now, the corporate real estate industry, we, we have been given this 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 moment in time when asking for new data systems, asking for... Um, you know, to look at your service provider uh, relationships and, and seeing how you can enhance or bolster that, um, I, you know, I have a lot of clients doing that right now, um, because I, I feel like there's an avenue to that executive mind or mindshare that maybe it was always hard to get to before. I mean, some companies are better at it than others. Many corporate real estate leaders have a direct line into the CEO or, the, you know, the head of HR, or whatever it is. But I feel like the conversations that many of us have been trying to have for years all of a sudden got accelerated. I mean, we had a client that had, you know, we've been trying to work with them to move to a formal hybrid model for years. They kept saying they wanted to reduce their corporate real estate, they uh, expense, And we kept saying that the way to do it was this flex model. We finally got to this point in like end of 2019, early January 2020, when we got all the right people in the room to do this. And then overnight, they used all of the materials that we had developed to send every person in their company home to work from home in March of 2020. I mean, that was a, you know, a a, a black swan, crazy, you know, time for all of us. But like, this was an organization that then use that transition to really be able to look at what did they need to succeed like what did they need to ask for from their corpor- from their executives what could they do with their real estate portfolio and they were able to make decisions that had a positive impact so that's only i kind of went on a long winded uh tirade there but i feel like taking this moment to be able to ask for what you want and what you need to be successful, because this has been an area that's been highlighted over the past couple of years, is one way that you can turn some of these risks and challenges into opportunity, because I think it's a topic on people's minds.
2: And, and just, just to piggyback off that, um, uh, I, what what I see is uh, best in class companies, and I do have a, a question for you, Brett, when I uh, I have a couple of comments and then I uh, have a follow up question for you. Uh, with regards to this is best in class companies do look for opportunities during times of increased risk, right? So uh, our customers are more likely to make change during tough times. That opens the door for additional outsourcing. Uh, you might be able to get better value on acquisitions. Uh, there may be a good time uh, to invest in market share growth. Uh, also investing internally to improve productivity. I think you mentioned that earlier, uh, You know, perhaps leveraging uh, robotic processing, automation, augmented intelligence, uh, machine learning uh, to improve productivity. Uh, so if there are opportunities out there and there's this, uh, and this is to you, Brent, uh, and there's this preservation of cash situation where with inflation rate, that dollar is not going to be worth very much if you're if you're holding on to cash uh, a couple years down the road. So is this the time to invest in opportunities? I,
1: I, I think it, well, wow, this is like a whole, there's a, whole, there's a, lot, um, a lot into that. Um, I would say it depends on where you are as an organization, right? Like, I mean, the groups who are going to, or who will be and the clients that we're talking to who are really looking at this as an investment opportunity is those who are really financially disciplined coming into this and had really strong balance sheets Because they were looking, in fact, I mean, again, sorry to go back to the industrial side, but I think it's a decent example. If you look at the top three absorbers of commercial or of industrial real estate last year, their combined or their average price to earnings multiple was about 50, right? Versus the historical average of the S&P 500 around 20. So essentially what that tells me is those, those companies were growth companies, right? They were valued based on growth. Well, what does that mean? So that means they're valued based on their top line, not their bottom line. So when there's only one warehouse and there's four people competing for it, those executives are saying, hey, I need to hit my revenue growth number, and I can't hit my revenue growth number unless I'm outbidding everyone else for this asset, and I know it's going to cost me more, but I don't really, I'm not too concerned about the amount of money, you know, what, what that's going to do to our margins because I'm a growth company. Well, now that, that pendulum is swinging, and I think the most sophisticated users that we were working with or have been working with are looking at those, we call them signposts. Right, just understanding what is happening in both the capital markets and the real estate markets. We've talked about a number of those variables throughout this conversation, but keeping an eye on those and having a you know again, I'll call it a plan plus data to say, hey, executives, here's why we're thinking about oh. these things. And I know that's it's kind of a bridge between strategy and real estate. But for instance, like talent availability, this is and again another financial example. The number one corollary of both hedge funds and private equity fund returns not industry not asset class it's vintage it's when did they start investing and so there and i think of all of us on this call and i think if you boil that down to our businesses hey when do we invest in our business and so the fact that things are going this way as long as you're making you know as long as you're looking at the right trends and making the right bets i think it's a massive opportunity because all and and even for us personally on the phone if you ever look at your like 401k and you're like oh my gosh this is an absolute nightmare. Well, it's, if, as, long as, you're gonna, as long as you don't need that money today, it's actually like you want to be buying when the market is lower. So right. it actually is a good thing, even though it doesn't feel good. So again, again not everybody is in a position to do that because, hey, you know, we were actually, you know, let's, you know, let's say you're a hyper growth tech company and you're planning to raise capital in 2023. You're in a very different spot than the group who just raised capital in 2021, and now you've got five years of burn rate. So I think your ability to invest. So it's it's really specific to the organization. But I, again, that's where, and again, I'm probably disproportionately biased, but I think having that plan and having the data to support that plan, and to your point, David, having the systems, and to your point, Jack, having the risk mitigation strategy around those variables, I think it's an, I mean, frankly, I think it's a fascinating and an awesome time to be in our space because I think the ability to differentiate in a otherwise relatively, I think some view it as like a commoditized component of the business is never been greater than
0: right now. That's a great conversation. Um, Any, any final thoughts on that uh, before we see if anyone has questions uh, on the line? Okay. Um, So, you know, if, if you have questions, uh, do send them to us via chat. Um, You know, if you want to, be unmuted to, um, to ask a question via audio. We can uh, arrange for that too, but probably the best way is for you to just send us questions via chat and we'll read them out. So one question we've got is, you know, we've talked a little bit about where we are today. Um, where does CRE, or what does CRE need to keep an eye on for the next five, 10, 15 years? What's, you know, what's on the horizon that's going to be tricky?
3: Well, um, I I think it depends a little bit on what industry you're in. Um, So, you know, I think of like, you know, I work a lot with healthcare clients, right? And so they they think about their real estate space differently than the tech companies do, which is different than your your banks or consumer product companies. I, I I think based off of a lot of the macro trends that we've just been talking about, demographics, the growth, or Shrinkage of uh, real estate markets and 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 how that might impact you know the availability of the buildings that you want to to inhabit. I I first and foremost am thinking about are you in the right place for the talent that your organization needs, you know, and so that is sort of the first and foremost. And now that's often for the office environment, um, and I think it is bolstered by the opportunity to hire remotely, you know, so you know, that the, the downstream impacts from your talent needs and talent strategy at the company writ large is probably the most important thing to be thinking about over the next five and 10 years. And, you know, Brett was talking about demographic shifts. You know, you start looking at the heat map of the, com- of the country, right, like Florida, Georgia, Texas, Arizona. You know, these are places that people are moving to You know, Chicago, New York, um, Philadelphia, you know, these are places, some of the cities in California, these are places where people are moving out of. I mean, I don't think that that is news to anybody, but I think the acceleration of it is pretty crazy right now. And so if you're starting to think about like, I want a workforce that has a certain level of talent, I want a workforce that has a certain amount of diversity to it. You know, you have to think about where where those people um, are are want to live, and 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 there, if your portfolio today does not match what you want and need, that is a five year journey to 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 make a change. So I think that is the first and foremost thing that folks are going to be thinking about over the next five years. Brett and Jack.
2: Um. I, I i second i second the the labor market uh, especially after listening to uh, Brett a little earlier i mean i feel the pain every day um and um, with those macro macro trends uh you know that that from a risk standpoint is uh something certainly to keep an eye on uh, since it's a generational kind of thing for sure
1: yeah completely agree like, i might- human capital in times of uncertainty, you know if you think of a company as just people simply people processes and technology it's the people who design you know you need we have a whole diagram on this but it's you need new processes when the world changes and we've never gone through the rate of change in this in the period of time that we just went through so there's a need for new processes and ultimately new technology well who you know the value of human capital in times of you know volatility is when it's at its absolute peak and i think you know David's point of, uh, you know, thinking about where is your portfolio today and where should it be. I mean, we're doing we've, a number of our large clients have said, forget we even have a real estate portfolio. Here's the labor pools we need today, and ultimately here's the ones that we think we might need in the future. Where should we be positioning ourselves to maximize our access to that? We haven't talked a lot about how real estate can play a role as a location, you know, as a lever to help address those business challenges, both at the market level and then even at the location level. Um, but I think there's a, there's a tremendous amount of opportunity there. And then, you know, another one of those, I'll call it levers, I think the proximity to the, to the, uh, I'll call it the attendee, right. Or to that, um, to your employee is become disproportionately critical because, you know, if you can, even if I'm paying you six figures, I can no longer justify that hour and a half commute to work. So how do you think about how all these variables are changing and how you get kind of in front of it?
0: Thank you. Um, another question that's come in is, can you talk a little bit about cybersecurity and what role CRE has to play when it comes to, you know, working with IT, cybersecurity, data analytics, things like that?
3: I, I mean, I, to me where, where this often, it, 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 I think it highlights two issues. One is for the corporate real estate team, what assets, what parts of the, of the infrastructure are you all responsible for that are potentially network enabled, right? And so having a, having a clear picture of where corporate real estate assets are at risk is a really, uh, it, it's, like, it's like an issue that went from zero to a hundred miles per hour just in a very short period of time. Now there are other parts of your of your company that has operational assets, and I sort of make this distinction between operational technology assets versus IT assets, where you know IT assets like servers and laptops—that's kind of the domain of your IT partners. You know your operational technology assets—you know—are all of these potential assets that are connected to the internet, right? Like I mean, even a smart refrigerator, right? Something as kind of benign as that, and. Um, what a lot of organizations are trying to do and I think this is first and foremost something that impacts um, smart factories right like if you have a smart factory environment um, or a um in the hospital setting where they have all of this healthcare technology like uh you know your Mris and your cat scans and all that biomedical engineering equipment I think that those are sort of maybe a little bit further along than your facility assets but i think having a clear picture of what are the assets that are potentially at risk and working with your it department to say you know what do we need to do to keep these assets healthy you know uh, digitally healthy right software patches virus protection up, upgrades you know protocols that protect those assets and if there is a risk or some sort of event how do we deal with that and you know we we do a lot of work where you know we bring our cybersecurity people and our enterprise asset management technology suite together to try to say hey for every asset that's network enabled in our cmms solution or our asset management solution we need to know the ip and the mac address Right. So even just that data collection effort can go a long way in case there's ever an event. So that's kind of like, to me, the first tranche of cybersecurity risk that faces CRE is just that you actually do own assets and are responsible for assets that have real cybersecurity risk. And I think like there have been some breaches in the past where people were able to get into the network through like an HVAC unit, right? Like some IoT enabled facility, um, facility asset that ended up becoming the gateway into a network. So that's kind of tranche number one. Tranche number two is, I think it really highlights the the need for a partnership between facilities and IT, you know, because they have requirements, right? They may start talking about, hey, we need certain amount of, you know, we need, we need to install new equipment and we need facilities to help us do that you all may have cybersecurity programs that involve higher levels of physical security. What does that mean in terms of facilities environment? Um, So I I feel like, and especially when you start talking about new builds or big major renovations, what is the IT requirements? Some of them may be related to cybersecurity that you have to incorporate into into your standards. So I think about it in those two tranches. One is Hey, make sure that your house is in order in terms of any network-enabled devices you're responsible for. And then, second, programmatically working with IT to make sure that you are building and, and providing spaces that meet their requirements. Because if that if there's a siloed approach between facilities and IT, there are going to be gaps in the armor. Does that answer the team's question? Whoever asked it. Yes, there's a follow-up, I'm happy so. to, to talk more about it offline.
0: No, I think so. I think um, looks like that uh, that that was the response we're looking for. But no, thank you so much for that. Um, and we're pretty much at the end of our time. So, um, David, Brett, Jack, any final thoughts before we uh, before we close for the day?
2: Um, just just one additional thought on the cybersecurity piece. Uh, uh, what one of the big trends we're seeing out there is productivity automation, and. Um, with regards to uh, back office, front office, client facing uh, every everywhere we're looking. So the corporate real estate uh, or commercial real estate industry is becoming more and more reliable on technology to conduct everyday business. And as over the next five or 10 years, this is going to be an area uh, where how do we how do we uh, maintain our capabilities uh, when there is a a cybersecurity incident and uh, that that is uh something's looming uh in the go forward risk register for sure
1: yeah my my last comment would probably actually be back to some of david's comments earlier Of what a great time to be ready to make that ask from leadership right it's kind of never been a point where we're more in the spotlight but i think the ability to build that business case in a really intentional manner to, to be able to articulate here's what's at stake and here's how what i'm trying to achieve ties to the organizational objectives or concerns or the risks that are on the, the forefront, I think that's uh, that's a really critical piece of the puzzle, but also a really, really great opportunity right now. And the one piece I will add to that too is a lot of this is related to digital transformation. And if you look at the data points regarding the investment in digital transformation, I mean, the numbers have been crazy the last two years. So again, kind of thinking about how you position the ask in light of what the organization is trying to achieve on some of these macro headwinds, I think is a huge, huge opportunity for those on the call.
3: Yeah, I'll just end by saying that like oftentimes myself included and my clients, we get so into the weeds of like, you know, building and construction and, you know, like delivering great cafeteria services. And just like, there's always a, there's always a fire drill, like in the real estate and facilities space. And I think Brett and Jack, the ability to elevate that conversation to talk about, hey, these are things that we have to really address and think about because you know, the macroeconomic changes are not going to go away just because we've solved the nutritional value of the cafeteria offerings, right? And so if we're not able to talk about both parts as corporate real estate leaders, I think we miss the opportunity to really move our Executive leaders and, and and stakeholders to the right decision. So I, I I really enjoyed listening to Brett and Jack today and learned a lot from both of them. So uh, I applaud you both for bringing that perspective to a conversation that often is just about literal
1: bricks and mortar.
2: Like likewise, David and Brett. For sure,
1: very educational. I appreciate appreciate the opportunity
0: and thank Bye. you to all three of you for being here it was a great conversation and uh, we appreciate the time you took to share your thoughts and your insights and a big thank you to colliers deloitte and newmark for their partnership uh we definitely appreciate um you know uh, what you bring uh to uh, to the to the table and uh, to our members so thank you very much and hopefully uh we'll see everyone on the call on another webinar hope you have a great uh, morning day evening and in chicago you next week and in chicago exactly right. exactly I'll, we'll I'll see you even-
3: there tuesday wednesday and part of thursday so if you see me please come by and say hi happy to talk about any of these or other topics same. Same. absolutely
0: same. thank you see you all then Bye. Bye. thank you so much. take care Bye. thank you this concludes this
1: episode of what's next want to record a podcast of your own have an idea
0: or point of view you'd like to share visit cornetglobal.org to learn more